Welcome back to another episode of Rational Face Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Paul Barker, and today we are joined by Jen- Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and also uh, one of our perma bloggers, Laura Armstrong. And welcome both. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, we um, um, we're going to call Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife just Jennifer, um, mm-hmm. so I don't lose my breath every time I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Um, but she has a, a conference coming up and why don't you go ahead and tell our audience of, I think we've grown to 20 listeners now, just kidding, but <laughs> go ahead and tell everybody what, uh, your conference is about. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm going to be in Manhattan on the 14th, I guess about 10 or 11 days from now, um, <clears throat> doing, a, a two seminars or workshops, one in the morning, one Saturday morning just for women, for LDS women. Uh, and I'll be talking about issues on desire. Really, the art of the or the art of desire is probably the best title for the workshop. And talking about elements in our culture that are suppressing or shaming of desire, and how to um, develop more awareness of yourself and cultivate more of a relationship to your own sensual and sexual self. And um, and the parts of our theology that both support that and even um, see it as good and important. Um, and then in the evening, I'll be doing a similar length uh, workshop for couples and looking at the kinds of dynamics that can interfere with desire in long-term relationships and um, what couples can do to see their own participation in the problem and to function differently awesome. or better. That yeah. sounds super interesting. Um, give me the dates again. It's um, June 14th, and it's at it's in Manhattan at 390 Broadway, I believe, on the third floor okay. in the Tribeca section. And it's not, the women's conference starts at 930, and the couples conference starts at 530, and the cost is about $45 for the women's if you pre-purchase tickets, and for the couples, $85. Okay, and there's a... Uh way you can purchase on your website? There is, and I'm just trying to think the easiest way to give it to you, but maybe you could link to it because... We'll link to all the info. We'll put all the information yeah. in the in the link to the podcast, and it'll, it'll link to your website. So Great. that would be Great. awesome. Ease for everybody else. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so um, we had... This is going to be a, a normal thing for us to do with Jennifer. We're going to have her on once a month to answer any questions that... Uh, that our listeners will have for her and I, it's going to be a great experience before we jumped into the user questions um, we had a, an item of news come up in in Mormondom as we always do here in Utah there, um, there seems to be a little crazy when a whole bunch of Mormons get together and <laughs> <laughs> what's that saying it, uh, Mormons are like manure it's really good when they're they're spread around mm-hmm. um, but when they clump together it kind of does the opposite effect. Okay, so we have Wasatch <laughs> High School, and here's what, I guess they had a school policy of not to wear tank tops, as I understand it, and I guess that rule wasn't enforced during picture day, and so some uh, high school girls showed up with tank tops um, and took their school picture, uh, and to their dismay, 
when they got their yearbook pictures, um, th there was some Photoshop done. There's some sleeves added. Um, I think in one one girl had her um, her cleavage photoshopped, so it was raised up, mm -hmm. and also a tattoo that was covered up. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's pretty much now. The whole issue was is not everybody was well besides the obvious issues of photoshopping a person without them knowing about it mm -hmm. and other issues I'm sure that you're going to discuss. Uh, the other issues was um, not everyone was photoshopped, so there was people with right bare shoulders, right, <laughs> right, and and then there's also um, if you go and look at the men's side, which the Salt Lake Tribune also added, they did some more investigation. There was other pictures in there of men, of course, bare-chested, labeled stud muffin. And, and kind of things like that with, right. with obvious nipples exposed and all their and their navels also and along with their and underwear and underwear mm -hmm. and their shoulders of all right. things I know okay. right. shocking so <laughs> obviously you can see the double standard there I mean uh -huh. I mean everybody can see that all my conservative friends you know they, they roll their eyes and they're like oh my gosh I mean it, the double standard was clear and obvious some yeah. defended it as saying not the double standard, but saying the girls knew the rules and they shouldn't have shown up with tank tops for pictures. And so there's that one, you know, mm -hmm. I'd say 20% that that didn't take issue with that. Why was what they did so unhealthy for the girls, though? Well, I, I would say that, you know, a school has right a right to, um, even legally speaking, to have a dress code and to have expectations. I don't think that's the problem. If, they, if they're trying to cultivate an environment that's conducive to learning, I certainly think that's fine. I think the problem, though, is, the as you're saying, the inconsistency. So the focus on female sexuality as the problem as opposed to basically – you know, expectations of men and women are the same. And then with respect to the photos themselves, I think it was a kind of a shaming and heavy-handed move to make mm -hmm. because, um, you know, first of all, a lot of the people that were interviewed said it was inconsistently enforced that people would wear these things, every, you know, lots of during the school year and wouldn't be, it wouldn't be addressed or dealt with. And so, and it wasn't like when they showed up for picture day, somebody told them that they had a problem they just took their picture and then after the fact. And I think, you know, the argument was we want a, a, an environment that's conducive to learning. I don't see what that has to do with yearbook photos because that's not about, you know, those, that's just a static entity. Right. And so, I mean, they could have, I think, handled, first of all, if they wanted to enforce a policy, uh, they could have done it in a much more respectful way, which is to say, to let the people know that we're showing up for pictures that look this isn't acceptable. We will either Photoshop it or you have a chance to go change your clothes or, you know, come back for retake day. There could have been a much more collaborative way to deal with it than just going in without their consent or knowledge. Um, and then, and then of course there's the larger issue of what for me as somebody that's kind of an outsider, cause I'm in Chicago, <laughs> right? but still LDS, what feels to me like sort of, um, an expression of the culture that is so ingrained that it's almost not seen. And what I see in it is, you know, first of all, that the focus is on tattoos and shoulders. Um, 
and cleavage, you know, which is a very Mormon interpretation of, of decency, right? And um, the real focus on women and then the kind of like the moralistic tone of it, I think, which is we have a right to come in and edit you to get you to be more righteous and to be more, com you know, we feel more comfortable with how you look. It, it, it feels very patronizing and um, shaming. So, but I think, you know, that it's, it's really in a sexually conservative faith as we, as ours is, when you add to it the layer of patriarchy, then I think women really become the focus of sexual conservatism and they are both the problem and the solution of men's sexual behavior. And so, you know, no one thinks much about, you know, you know, you know, I can't remember what it was like living the stud life was what was on that with the, yeah. you know, the, <laughs> I just want to know what that is. What's the stud? <laughs> do I, do I have to put rims on my minivan to, to live the stud life? <laughs> Can I get away without having any piercings and still? <laughs> right. You know, apparently you have to have a lot of bravado and show up without your shirt on. And, um, okay. you know, <laughs> and, you know, of course, we expect very different from young women. And it's it's imbalanced for sure. And that's the, yeah, and there lies the, the issue. Um, as far as I understand on one side, and, and this is just a off-topic question about school uniforms, when does the woman's education become less valuable than her than what she wears to school as a distraction to the boys? That question really didn't make sense. I hope you understand what I was kind of going for. Wait, and I don't know if I quite do. Can you say try like, again? When, for example, if a woman gets sent home for what she's wearing, mm -hmm. do we say to her what she's wearing is so distracting to the boys? that is more that's that's more important than her education is that right. is that the what's coming across yeah i understand what you're saying right so j just the idea that that basically we're valuing this is again just a part of lds culture that i think is misguided but this kind of horror and fear of men having sexual thoughts or people having sexual thoughts mm -hmm. impure quote unquote um I don't personally see a lot wrong with having sexual thoughts. I think it's not, in fact, it's, in, it's an important part of human experience and human development. The bigger question is whether or not we engage respectfully with one another. Okay. And so when I think about the issue of modesty, it's really around self-respect and respect for others. And, you know, I mean, I think if you have, let's say you have a woman at school, a young woman at school who is, very hypersexualized, and she's in, using all of her energy to sort of engage the sexual interest of the men around her. Well, you could argue that's a distraction to the boys, and that's a problem. But I think the bigger concern is the kind of disrespect models about herself and how she has reduced herself to only her sexuality. Right. And that's the bigger problem. Okay. That's the bigger issue to be addressed. And men need to learn no matter what a woman is doing, you still respect her even if she's disrespecting herself doesn't justify your disrespect of her. I like so, that. yeah. Just because she's dressed that way doesn't give you permission to act in a certain way. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Laurel, can you Are you there? Yes, yes. Awesome. Laurel cut out for a minute and now she's back and we're glad to have her back because she is going to read uh the 
the user questions, unless you had something to add about the Wasatch Elementary. No, I got cut out because of a toddler school. who okay. might be coming over to make some comments again. Okay. <laughs> um, They're very so, insightful. They're very insightful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So our first question here. Mikey. Yeah, I got to ask the question, honey. Um, <laughs> all right. Actually, you know what, Paul? Why don't you read this one? Okay. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a mute on your? Yeah, I'll mute it. Okay. Not that she's not cute, because she, that's darling. <laughs> no children being cute on the podcast. Okay. Um, let's do the novel one first. Uh, from a reader. Recently, though, oh, let's do this here. I read an Ensign oh. in article when I was a teenager that said reading romance novels for women was every bit as sinful as looking at porn for men. Throughout my adult life, I've only read clean romance novels, i.e. Jane Austen. If I encountered sec a sex scene in another in another novel, I skipped over it. The few times I've come across Harlequin, Harlequin romances, yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, mm -hmm. Novels they disgusted me. Uh, recently, though, I've had a friend introduce me to a middle ground of somewhat steamy romance novels. They're clean overall, but there there will usually be one married sex scene per book, uh, plus some lustful. Inter internal monologues. I've been amazed at how much I enjoy them. The sex scene descriptions seem innocuous, not dirty, especially now that I'm married. But reading these somewhat steamy romances has the pronounced side effect of turning me on and actually looking forward to sex with my husband. We have a lot of issues in our relationship, of which my extremely low libido is one. I'd be happy to never have sex again. It seems like something that causes me to affirmatively want sex with my husband is harmless enough, but I keep remembering that Ensign article, and I'm worried that it's sinful for me to be enjoying these books so much. Any, mm. any thoughts? I have lots of thoughts. Uh, uh, awesome. One is burn the Ensign article. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I'll, I'll be a little more moderate. About it. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that one has to think about the issue of, um, first of all, what is the problem with being turned on in reading a story or a narrative? I mean, what I would say is, first of all, I don't think that romance novels are anywhere near as sort of morally complex as pornography is, mm -hmm. just because of the industry itself and the that often the, the people that are um, being photographed and filmed in pornography have often come from their own kinds of sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. And so to be a participant in that industry has its own challenges beyond whatever it does to you and your um, own relationship to sexuality and so on. So literature is is much more around your own mind and your own thinking. Um, and so the question really around that is, is it wrong to be turned on? Because I think this is really as members of the church where we we talk about that sex outside of marriage is not good. But we're really afraid of sexual pleasure, I think, in general. We're afraid of arousal internally, even if we're really responsible and respectful of ourselves and others and how we deal with that. And I personally do not think there's anything wrong with arousal or pleasure. And I think there's a lot of people in the church who have a lot of anxiety about it. But 
they're often the ones that are struggling the most in their marriages um, to have any kind of a meaningful sexual connection. So I think that not only is it not wrong, that it's really important and good. And, you know, many, many women with low desire in my office and in my clinical practice are have felt like, you know, it's not okay for me to cultivate a relationship to my own eroticism, my own desire. And that therefore, because that would make me unfeminine, that's not an acceptable behavior. And therefore, it's my husband's job to arouse this in me and to cultivate this in me. Well, it just doesn't work. Okay, because if you can't make space for your own if you can't make space to develop a relationship to your own sexuality and to what it turns you on and to what ideas and um, behaviors are of interest to you, you can't, there's no way for someone else to be able to do that for you. And so, you know, I think, in fact, I'd love to know which novels or novel series this question, this person writing this question is actually reading because it sounds like it could be a great resource for people that I work with sounds like an excellent resource that, you know, that these are, this this is turning her on and it's even in line with her overt values, which is married sex and married eroticism. And it turns her on. It sounds like it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So I'll have to ask her what it is. Yeah. Uh, I have her email, so I'll email her, especially when the podcast is produced and and see if she'll, uh, she'll pass that information along. So that'd be great. Awesome. Um, I'm not sure if I do have a follow-up question on that um i guess with, with the way the way mormons think at least growing up is that pretty much all all of that is bad and right I, I think you covered that that and so anytime we feel that way if it's not towards someone we were not legally married to then we we feel that guilt right and i and so and I see it more as, you know, I'm a sexual being and and um, to have a relationship to my sexuality is important. And then what I do with it is important. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, so, you, it's using your sexuality in a responsible and loving way. So it's almost a way of finding yourself first and Absolutely. knowing what your desires are, your pleasures, what you are about so that you can better... Um, be loved is that absolutely yes and love mm-hmm. because you know if you're going to really be in a long-term sexual relationship you, you really need a se- relationship to yourself as a sexual being and i think that the the fantasy in grown-ups minds when they're talking to their children is that that there's that they will have no relationship whatsoever to their sexuality until they are in the hotel room on the on their honeymoon night, and then it will all be awoken within them, and all will be well. That's the fantasy, okay? Yeah. And, they, and even that parent that's hoping for that knows that wasn't their experience, right? Because, because you know, the open secret is that everyone develops some relationship or some awareness of their sexuality premaritally. Now, some people shut it down immediately because they feel ashamed of it. They may have just a glimpse, and then they 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 push away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, others have more of an involved relationship with their sexuality um, before they get married. But to have some awareness of this part of yourself and to respect it and do it in yourself is very, very important. I like that a lot. Laurel is going to read our next question. Go ahead. 
All right. So we have bishopric feedback to what is acceptable in the bedroom has been as long as you are both comfortable and you aren't bringing in another person, all is well. Any thoughts? Can that be true? It seems to me that two people may be comfortable doing some things that may not be acceptable. So I guess what I would say is that clearly um, two people could be comfortable doing really indecent things, um, right? Meaning to you know you could have i can just take the extreme you could have two people who are comfortable exploiting a child you know mm -hmm. um right, right. there's certainly morally unacceptable things a couple could do but i think the measure has more to do with does the behavior um does it delight you and draw you closer to one another and is it a way to know and understand one another even if it's engaging in a kind of playfulness or fantasy that uh, might not be, um, how to say it, that might just be exactly that, a kind of play and a kind of engagement that you understand as a couple is a source of pleasure, but is really ultimately draws you closer to one another, even if it's something you wouldn't tell your neighbors about. <laughs> so I'm not sure how to say that more clearly. So, <laughs> you know, I think there is a lot of room for couples to explore and to try things with each other and that the measure is really about what effect it has on the couple. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a follow-up question with that. And, oh, years ago, um, maybe three, four years ago, there was a conference talk. I don't know if you remember this, Jennifer, of mm -hmm. the language you use in the bedroom should be mm -hmm. appropriate. Have you heard? Mm -hmm. Am I? Does anybody recall yeah, that? Yeah, I have a faint memory of that, and I don't remember who gave it or when it was. Yeah. I'm going to guess Oaks for some reason. I don't know why. Could be. <laughs> Could be. But um, that sort of talk, and uh, of course um, – Back in the day, we also had a Temple Recommend uh, interview question that had that regarded oral sex. Mm -hmm. um, how does one, I guess, come about negotiating um, the the Mormon waters with what's going on in, in the bedroom? Well, I guess what I would say to that is that if you're really in a framework of compliance and making sure that you aren't crossing any lines. Um, you're not going to have a thriving sex life. And and that maybe sounds like an extreme position to take. But if you're really anxious about, um, I guess my point is if you're really anxious about knowing that you don't fall outside of any lines, um, it's really hard to cultivate the creativity and the robustness of really knowing yourself and knowing your spouse in a profound way in the sexual realm. And I'm not saying that people have to do wild and crazy things to have a robust sex life, but it's it's just the wrong frame on sexuality. I see just like love, the capacity to love, the capacity to desire, and the capacity to have meaningful and uh, rich sexual connection is is a developmental reality. And so there there needs to be some freedom to express oneself, to understand oneself, to understand one's spouse, and to not be riddled with anxiety in the process. Now, that doesn't mean that it's amoral, right, or that it's 
that there isn't a frame to think about, you know, is this something that is works well for us? You know, I, I was working with a couple that um, never, ever tried anything their first, you know, 15 or so years of marriage because they thought oral sex was off limits and they had a pretty vanilla sex life, but it was, it, it was getting boring. And so the frequency was going down a lot. And then <clears throat> there was some turn of events and there was kind of a reawakening when when one of the people in the marriage talked about something that they had that had happened when they were younger and that the other person didn't know about. And it rather than being a threat, it sort of reignited the, the couple. And they're a couple that I really admire. They're wonderful members of the church, and yet they've really allowed themselves all kinds of ability to explore and do things together, and they have a wonderful sex life and they're deeply in love with one another. And, you know, it doesn't mean that there has not been any anxiety because they're like, you know, would other people be okay with this? Right. 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 Like it doesn't seem to fit what, you know, sister so-and-so seems to be doing at church. I can't imagine she would be doing this, but they don't imagine her doing that is probably the best. (laughs) (laughs) Don't imagine your least society president trying what you're doing. That's probably going to be a big (laughs) turnoff. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the effect on this couple, I mean, talk about building a resiliency to divorce. I mean, they're, they're really in love with one another. There's a lot of um, energy between them. And they're really good to each other and good people. So, you know, the, the amount of pleasure and delight that they have, have cultivated with for themselves has only added to their ability to be loving good people in the world. Yeah, I like that. So um, if we were to spark our marriages, bring up old past girlfriend. <laughs> That's exactly in, the takeaway. In, in my Caprice Classic in high school. Uh, right, and then when you show up for counseling, you'll be like, wait a minute, it didn't work. <laughs> exactly, maybe not. <laughs> Laurel, do you have any questions? Um, yeah, actually, there's one thing I was curious about. Um, when I got married, my husband had a really good um, marriage prep teacher at BYU. I can't remember his name, but um, you know, he was very straightforward. And he talked about how, in his experience, a lot of divorce in the church actually stems from sexual dissatisfaction, but no one will admit that because they're too embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, and and they they or they'll label it as something else. Um, Isn't that what President Kimball even said that 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 was at the core of a lot of the divorces he sees that he oh. saw? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just wondering how prevalent you see that, and if if people are able to, if if people know that's what's going on, or if it's so buried that they don't really even acknowledge that's the problem. Well, I don't know if I would go as far as what President Kimball said is to say like it is the reason, you know, that people that the often the main reason people get divorced, but I would say in my experience people certainly live with and tolerate a lot of frustration in the sexual realm. Mm-hmm. And a kind of um suppression of what they long for because they feel like, you know, I'm sort of in a really sexless marriage or a relatively um passionless marriage. But how noble is it to even want that in the first place? And I think a lot of men especially feel some guilt and anxiety about 
the fact that they want better or more. Women certainly can feel that too if they're the higher desire person. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, women can maybe feel what's wrong with me that I want more. Men can feel like, you know, if I'm a good man and I'm a good priesthood holder, I will put these hedonistic desires aside and make them less important. Mm -hmm. But there's really a loss, in my opinion, you know, supposedly in the frame of goodness. We're going to suppress a really fundamental part of being human and not cultivate something much richer and deeper that the two of us could have. And, you know, we'll maybe have a a dutiful marriage. We'll maybe fulfill all our callings and do our job to raise our kids, but not really have passion and, and delight in being with one another. And I mean, I just think that's the best part of life is to really, really love your spouse and be in them. Sure makes parenting a lot easier. And mm-hmm. um, and um, it sure makes managing the duties of life easier. So it's a sad thing that so many people don't have it and don't feel the permission that somehow it's morally less to try and cultivate it. And I, I just completely disagree with it. Mm-hmm. We are sexual beings. Our parents in heaven gave us sexual bodies for a purpose. And it's not just reproduction. I mean, we're sexual beings. And it's a part of our spiritual development to have these wonderful bodies that are, give us pleasure. And the pleasure is, is good, or at least it can be good. Pleasure mm-hmm. that's a problem is pleasure that's at someone's expense and our, our own expense or others' expense. And, you know, that's, that's certainly worthwhile. It's to, to consider in all mm-hmm. of your decision-making, but not just about whether or not it's missionary position, you know, sex is the measure. Mm-hmm. I actually had one question kind of sort of relating to that. Um, and that was when you're talking about, you know, acknowledging that we're sexual beings. Um, one of the things I always felt growing up is that, I mean, the church does a good job talking about the dangers of sex when it's used in, you know, in a way that could hurt us or a way that could be dangerous, um, you know, sometimes too much, but, but, you know, truthfully there are dangers to premarital or sex or sex where there's not a commitment, um, Mm -hmm. or emotional support. And Mm -hmm. so that is an important aspect. But the thing I realized after a few of my own experiences, both before and after marriage, um, is that the church, I, I never got the message at church, maybe this is my own family, um, about all the good side of sex. It was just sort of this, oh yeah, sex is good when you're married, but we're never going to talk about it. But here's right. all the terrible, terrible, terrible things. Um, yeah. and, and so I, and what was difficult for me is growing up, I was actually incredibly curious about sex as a woman. Um, but especially being, but you know, culturally, I was not allowed to be curious about that. Yeah. I felt like at times there was something wrong with me um, because that was just so unusual. Um, but the thing I realized is that I wish I had someone to talk to in a church setting that could I could talk to with safe boundaries about mm-hmm. the benefits of sex because I had to figure some of that out on my own. Sometimes, um, you know, I never had anything disastrous happen. Um mm-hmm. But there were experiences, I'm like, if I had had someone to explain both the positives and negatives of sex, I feel like I would have been better mm-hmm. able to deal with things. And I'm going to mm-hmm. go check on my child while you answer that. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just trying to think of the um, what I want to say to that is 
you know, absolutely. I think we're much more focused on the biology of sex in general, and we're really focused on the don'ts. Um, That's easier because to teach. it's easier to teach and it alleviates the anxiety of the adult <laughs> Right, to sort right. of, you know, feel like they've done their job and it's the fantasy that their child has no sexual thoughts or has no inner life, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, at, rather than being a guide to sort of navigate the the terrain and the currency of sexuality with some real wisdom and some ways to really measure um, the the decency of our choices and so on and to understand some of the complexity that comes with it and you know I personally talk to my kids about those kinds of things when they come up you know issues come up like in a show that we might be watching or something that a friend said at school I'm often just helping them think about those issues that have to do with the sexual realm and kind of what are ethical or reasonable ways to think about what's happening and what would be, you know, the right course of action or a way to understand what this person's doing. So um, just to help, but because we have so much anxiety about it as parents, we generally don't do a good job of teaching. Right. Um, and that's really a failure, I think, on parents' part if they let themselves get away with that. So when it comes down to, as far as the church setting that she was she was implying, I think, um, is, as in all things, it it should begin at home, right? Where you give your kids the knowledge that they will need. And so if they do have a question or something does come up in church, they can say, ah, my parents told me a little bit in their mind. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. my parents taught me a little bit differently from what they're, what they're mm -hmm. saying, but I can see where they're coming yes. from. It absolutely should begin at home. I mean, like parents um, are going to be the best educators of this. It's not necessarily something you talk about in Sunday school. But on the other hand, I think sometimes the messages that we give about sexuality set up the framework. And I think we could be giving better, larger cultural, larger church messages to set up a healthier framework for more explicit conversations that happen at home. I like I think, that. So yeah. more nuanced uh, view at church to give parents more leeway to, to say what they need to say. To right. Less fear about sexuality. I mean, I, I, there's, there are things to fear with sexuality. And right. there's, you know, as I've said in other things, you know, it's a powerful way of relating to another person and it can do harm to ourselves or to other people. So there is something to be afraid of. Uh, but at the same time, the, there's much to to celebrate and to be happy about in terms of our potential and so on. So I think we need to do a better job of communicating that idea. And then that gives parents um, more permission to know how to c cultivate that in themselves and in their conversations with their children. Cool. I think we can discuss this for hours or even yep. go, we'll stop. Yeah, yeah. go to another episode of how the church can better do that or how as parents we can better teach our children and, and maybe yeah. one of our users will bring up that question next time. But right. thanks for joining us, uh, Jennifer. And please, one more, one more time, why don't you t say the dates? and uh, the, So the seminar is this a week from Saturday. Well, that's not going to be anything to you. The, uh, June 14th um, in Manhattan. And so a women's se seminar in the morning and a couple seminar in the evening. And if you have the link, then they can read all the specifics yeah. about it. And 
look at the yeah look at our page for the all the information we'll have that all for you if you're listening to this on iTunes you can just go to rationalface.com and and check that out um, and there'll be a link there thanks again for joining us uh, Dr. Fife and Laura wherever you're at thank you for your your questions yep oh there you are okay yeah I'm throwing out a poopy diaper now <laughs> I took care of my poopy diapers before <laughs> and then I let yeah anyway okay so all right Thanks again for joining us.